You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Oh, man. Uh, school's coming back, and uh, I know moms are really sad about that. Could we have... Um, could we have all our uh, teachers stand up? We want to pray for you, administrators, homeschool, public school, uh, private school, colleges, high school. Stand up, all you teachers, administrators, coaches. Come on, yep. We have a few. Can we pray for them? God, we just thank you. That, that's, yeah. We love you. Thank you. We honor you. God, thank you for teachers, administrators, coaches, caregivers, uh, caring about our kids, teaching our kids. We pray you would give them great wisdom. Sometimes there's terrible struggles in the classroom and then even struggles with curriculum and so on. We pray you'd give them grace and that they would feel honored and loved and valued in in a difficult position. Thank you, God. Thank you for these. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. So glad you're here this morning. Many years ago, uh, at the beginning of my ministry, a woman who had poor health was fired in the uh, organization I was with. Uh, She just couldn't keep up, couldn't do the work, and I I sort of understood it, but I also felt there was some injustice, and I I felt grieved about it. I talked with a mentor, a friend of mine who was giving me a lot of input uh, as I was forming my thoughts on ministry, and he said to me a few things that really helped me a lot. Uh, He said that you you really don't need to fire anybody. You can... uh, retrain them or train them or put them in a different place where they fit better. Uh, but if there's a, a terrible character flaw, then, then they might need to go. But if they're teachable, we can train them. And, but unteachable people, they, they have to go. And, of course, that's in a large organization. In the midst of the conversation, I felt like God spoke to me that teachability was a bottom line. We've got to be teachable everybody's got to be teachable. And it it, it hit me pretty hard. And from that point in my life, I began to look for people in various positions and opportunities who were teachable. And I sort of set aside people who appeared not teachable or who expressed some aspects of unteachability. And I just sort of felt like, well, if you're unteachable, it's it's just not going to work. And uh, there's a... uh, a thought for us, we're here making disciples who make disciples, and I realize you can't make a disciple if they're not teachable, because at the core of discipleship, right inside of discipleship, is being a student, an apprentice, an intern, a protege, a mentoree, and in that, none of those can happen if there isn't some kind of teachability some kind of learning stance. And so I've been looking at this, and I realize that teachability is at the core of discipleship. And so I've looked for teachability, value teachability. But more recently, I asked the question, can we become teachable? Because I'm kind of thinking 
if you're teachable, if you're unteachable, then, then that's it. But can we increase our teachability? And in fact, don't we want to increase our teachability? And so I've been studying that, thinking about that, and I want to explore this option, this opportunity of teachability with you this morning. Because I don't, I don't think there's anybody here who doesn't want to be more teachable. So let's look at this. I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some under the chairs there, and you can grab one, take it with you, uh, get your device going. Matthew chapter 25. The background of this uh, chapter, this experience, Jesus is in His last week of ministry. This coming Friday, He'll be crucified, and then that following Sunday, He will rise from the dead. People are wondering, though, is Jesus going to overthrow the, Ro- the Roman government and usher in His kingdom as king? Is He going to be the king of Israel like David was or more? Is, is, this, is this it, the climax? We're going to get this. And there, there's misunderstanding going on. In the midst of this, Jesus gives a parable to bring understanding. He talks about a, a master, a wealthy uh, employer, a lot of resources, who needs to go on a long journey. He's going to be gone for a long time. And so he disperses his assets to a couple of his servants so that they would take care of them and make them grow while he's gone. And so we pick up the story in, verse 20, in 20, chapter 25, verse 15. To one of these servants he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. So they had the ability to, to do this, to invest. Uh, then he went on his journey. Now, some translations have for uh, the, the bag of gold the word talents. And this was a uh, unit of money, perhaps a gold coin. Over the years, people have not been able to find out just how much money we're talking about here, talents of gold. And you'll see in your study Bible various estimates. We just don't know, but it must have been a lot, talents, plural. And so you'll see here in the NIV, the New International Version, bags of gold. Could have been 75 bags of gold, 75 pounds. It could have been a lot. And the fact is it can be generalized not just talents in terms of money, but talents, abilities, skills, spiritual gifts, things that God gives us to steward and to invest. And so the, the parable can, can go in that direction. Uh, Matthew uh, 25, verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Now, Let's, uh, let's make this a little more contemporary. I, maybe the five-bag guy invested in real estate. And maybe he was very careful because you don't want to blow somebody else's money. Very careful to find good deals, to buy low, sell high, keep some of the real estate that was long-term profit, flip the ones that he wanted to get rid of. And so we've got this realtor, and he doubled 
the money that his master had given him. Then there was the two-bag guy. Maybe he studied the markets. Maybe he studied stocks and bonds, commodities, and made a conservative investment in a portfolio that would give good, solid return. And in fact, he doubled his money. He doubled the bags of gold. And then there was the one-bag guy. He didn't do anything. He didn't, he didn't go and study any markets. He didn't study real estate. He didn't even go to the bank. He did what my grandfather actually did. After the Great Depression, people put money in coffee cans and buried it in their backyard so that they would have some money if the economy tanked again. And this guy hid his money, his bags of gold, by a tree in the backyard somewhere. Verse 19, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And so the five-bag guy brought his five and five more bags, and the master was very pleased. And he said to him, you know, done a great job. You're a good and faithful servant. And just come and uh, be a partner with me in this business. Just be happy with me. And the two-bag guy came, and he had also doubled his money. The master was equally pleased because they had worked according to their ability. And he praised him. You're a good and faithful steward and uh, brought him on into the inner core and just wanted him to share his happiness. Then the one bag guy came, and the one bag guy, he, he knew that the master was hard and would want results from every seed that was planted. And so he explained that he had hid the gold so he would be sure to bring back what he had been given. The master was furious. He was irate because, you know, he didn't even, he didn't even take the money the, and, and put it in the bank. And we all know a savings account gets you almost nothing. But he didn't, uh, he didn't even do that. He just hid the money. If there's inflation, the bag of gold is going to be worth less than it was when the master left. The guy had not been faithful to invest. And in verse 28, so uh, he says to, to uh, the people there, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Forever, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what, he, what they have will be taken away from them. Not cruel, but just an issue of accountability. You give to people who are investing and are doing it well. And you don't give to people who are doing nothing. And so just an accountability. And, of course, he threw the guy out, fired him, done with him, because he wasn't productive. What was Jesus really saying with this parable? Well, certainly he was saying that we need to serve him fully with all of ourselves and all of our resources to love God and to love others until he returns. And uh, he's going to hold us accountable for this. But there's another thing there. We want to be careful not to be stuck like that one bad guy, but we want to be teachable learners like the two and five bad guys who navigated the economy to, to have positive results. And so we want to look at that a little bit more. 
But we do, we do have a problem. We do have a problem. Everybody here believes that they are teachable and that this teaching is probably for somebody else. It's just the way we are. We, we're learners. We're, we're in the information age. And so go ahead, tell the person next to you, I am really teachable. Because I believe that you are. What? Now, there's way too much conversation going on here right now. What's, what's going on? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I feel like I'm pretty teachable. I really do. I, over the years, I have uh, worked with staffs to invite uh, debrief feedback. We've talked about candor. We want to get it out there and be honest. We want to know what's going on. We want to avoid blind spots. Um, I've gone ahead and got a master's degree, and then I got a doctorate. I think of myself as teachable. But at, at my last church that I served at, there was a staff meeting, and one of the staff members said something about me being defensive. And, uh, well, I didn't I really know what that was. And I, I talked to my wife, my, my wonderful wife, a little bit later, <clears throat> and she mentioned, <clears throat> yes, you're defensive sometimes. <clears throat> and so... <clears throat> So uh, I, I just went defensive to, to defend my def- indefensive, whatever. And I was, and, and so I had to look it up in the, in the dictionary. And, and this, is, this is what I found, defensive, an attitude of defending or protecting, resisting attack, guarding against the threat of criticism, Injury to one's ego. Now, I think that's a mistake, that one there. Uh, probably not. Or exposure of one's shortcomings. I'm going, man. And I had to look at how I respond to people and my own sometimes feelings of rejection and different things. And I said, oh, man, just when you think you've got teachability down, you find out you're stuck in one area or another. And in fact, that's what's true for us this morning. You're probably overall teachable. But every one of us can find spots, maybe big spots, maybe blemishes in our lives where we're stuck. We sometimes get stuck. And so we want to talk about that. We want to explore this using this uh, parable and uh, some, some thoughts. We want to look at this and, and see how God moves a person from stuck to teachable. Definition, I think when we're stuck, we hold back what God has given us. The one bad guy held it all back. And really, what's underneath stuckness? Fear. Yeah, fear. And you see it right here in the passage, uh, verse, verse 25. So I was afraid. See that there? Go ahead and underline that. That's big. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. He hid it in the ground. He's afraid. And, and there, there is a fear. Uh, fear of people. Fear of man. Fear of woman. Fear of people-pleasing. People he hid his bag. He didn't take any risk at all. And then there's teachable. We're teachable when we develop what God has given us. Money, abilities, personality, gifts, passion, experience, time, whatever God's given us, we, we, we use that to benefit ourselves and others. 
the five bag guy and the two bag guy had to be teachable because there's so much that changes in the marketplace. If you're not teachable, you can lose a lot of money in a hurry. Just an example, who remembers Hollywood video? Yeah, past tense. It's gone. They went out of business in 2010. And then Hollywood video uh, went out of business in 2000. What did, I, did I miss that up? Hollywood video in 2010. Blockbuster went out in 2013. And so now we have Redbox, Netflix, Hulu, Ustream. You've got to be teachable if you're going to invest well. Things change. Things change for those guys. We can't afford to be stuck. Uh, because if we invest as things went in the past, and now that we're in such a changing culture in the information age, the technology age, we may well lose everything. And that can happen spiritually as well. We've got to be teachable like the five-bag and the two-bag guy. So what we have in the midst of this is a God who has a great deal of compassion for us and wants us to move from stuck to teachable. He wants us to be great disciples, great learners, lifelong learners. He, has, he compassionately empowers us to conquer stuckness and increase in teachability. And so we want to look at a few ways that God works in our lives to move us from stuck to teachable. One of the first characteristics of stuckness is the desire to look good at all costs. The one bad guy feared that any investment would, might go south. So he hid everything, but he still looked good. And he, he, he made sure that he still looked good by hiding everything that he could hide. There's something about looking good now when we're afraid of the future. We, we bolster our current abilities. Our, we, we pride ourselves in where we're at because we're not sure how bad things are going to be down the road. So we look good now, we look intelligent, we look confident, all kinds of self-esteem. And this happens in our marriages, in our parenting, in our uh, spiritual walk, in our career, in our relationships. Usually, we think of being stuck in terms of age. Uh, a lot of times we'll talk about oldsters as being stuck in the mud. And that concerns me. That concerns me because I'm just a little over 39 myself. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't want to be stuck. Just, and I don't want that to happen as, as I get older. But here's something I, I want to share, an experience that I had. Working with a worship leader at our church many years ago, he was 21 years old. He's a great guy, and his worship was, was very good. But I noticed it was a bit on the slow side, a bit meditative, a bit um, slow, slow tempo, slow pace. And so we talked, and I said, look, what people are listening to on the radio, the popular music, uh, it has a, a faster pace than this. Maybe we should pick up the pace uh, a bit, uh, give it a little more energy, and you know, because we're excited to, to serve the living God. You know, we just let's just get that out there. And he replied, "I I can't change who I am." 
he's 21 years old. And on, on, on the inside, I, I, I just got hit by that. He, he didn't feel he could change. And he was 21. And I've had some experiences with, with students in, in, I taught college for many years, that, that were stuck. They already had it figured out. It's a scary place. And one thing I have learned is that age doesn't have anything to do with stuckness. It has everything to do with how we deal with our, with our fear. And so we've got people who want to look good at all costs. How does God move us out of that? He, he brings us into being learners. And we want to learn, learn, learn. We want to be lifelong learners. I talked with a student a while back who really uh, encouraged me in this. He said, you know, I really don't care what grade I get for the class. I just want to make sure I get the material. And I thought, whoa, this guy gets it. Because it wasn't about the current looking good, the look good at all costs, getting the grades. You can get it straight A's, but then not get it in your life. And he wanted, he wanted to really learn the material. I said, man, this guy gets it. This guy's teachable. And so how do we do this? Well, certainly there has to be a place of humility. You know, we're in the information age, the technology age, and you would think that the, the onslaught of stuff that comes our way would scream at us, keep learning. But in fact, we get overwhelmed and we back off and we say, I've had enough, I'm done. And we, we, we do that. And so I'll give you an example. In my life, I'm a reader, and I, I keep on reading as, as part of my learning posture to let the Holy Spirit keep moving me forward. I'll give you an example of what I'm reading now um, to get hold of the younger generation, to understand the younger generation. I'm reading uh, The Millennials, Connecting to America's Largest Generation, it's by uh, Tom Rainer. He's just written a lot of great stuff. I've got to understand the coming generation if I'm going to be effective in relating with them. I'm also a parent of a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. Pray for me. And uh, I'm reading a, a couple of books uh, in that area. Kind of, I tend to get one started and then start another. This one's Teenage Boys, Shaping the Man Inside, Surviving and Enjoying These Extraordinary Years. Okay, thank you very much, but I'll tell you, it's helping me. It's a great book. And then, of course, uh, The Indispensable Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, I've got to be a learner. I've got to keep pressing in. Uh, And uh, another another aspect of being a learner uh, is the need for a catalytic coach. You want to make sure that there's somebody who recognizes that you're, you've got abilities, but wants you to tap into them and get better and better. And a coach will take you from where you are to where you're going. A nice guy will tell you how great you are now. You've got to have a coach that, that presses you on, and your mistakes are okay. You take risk, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you experience a failure. <coughs> it's okay. You keep on going. Another way that God works in us 
has to do with the way we deal with our deficiencies, our weaknesses, our failures, our our mistakes. Um, The one bad guy wouldn't have anything to do with this thing of weaknesses and dealing with them. You just bury him, hide him, keep him out of the way, and just be fine. Just be now. Be fine. And, and uh, the, the opposite of that is the two bad guy and the five bad guy who are going to need to look at mistakes, failures, embrace them, use them as learning opportunities to better invest in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah. We, we've got to figure out how to use our weaknesses to grow instead of to have yet another week of depression or something. We've got to grow with the tough things that happen. I've enjoyed uh, learning a little bit about Michael Phelps over the years and have we read some stuff about Michael Phelps to my boys because my younger son's name is Michael and somehow there was an identity. And uh, of course, Phelps is amazing. He's uh, won more gold medals at the Olympics than any other athlete. And it's quite a guy. But I bring him up because of his embrace with a weakness recently. Back a couple of years ago, a couple of things happened that, that hit him hard. One was a controversial photo that emerged showing him smoking an illegal substance. And then at the end of the month, uh, he was arrested at the end of September. He was arrested for drunk driving. It was his second uh, drinking under the influence in the, in the previous 10 years. And so in September 30th, 2014, he went down, and it was really tough for him. An intervie- he he uh, said this to an interviewer, I was a train wreck. I was like a time bomb waiting to go off. I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. There were times where I didn't want to be here. It was not good. I felt lost. In, in the days following, he held up in his Baltimore home, sleepless, wasn't eating, really down, and thinking about suicide. He said about that time in his life, he's talking to someone, this is the end of my life. How many times will I mess up? Maybe the world would be better without me. This is Michael Phelps. He hit bottom. At this time, uh, Ray Lewis, the NFL uh, star, uh, and also an out loud Christian, reached out to him, helped Phelps get into rehab, and also gave him a book by Rick Warren, the pastor of a large church in Southern California, Warren's Purpose Driven Life. And Phelps started reading it along with being in rehab. And a few days after he was in rehab, he contacted Lewis, and this is what he said. Man, this book is crazy. The thing that's going on, oh my gosh, my brain. I can't thank you freaking enough, man. You saved my life. It it must be Olympic speak for teachability. (laughs) The thing about it, he hit bottom. You ask him about it, I'm sure he would tell you it was the bottom point in his life. He hit bottom. 
but he used that dissonance. He, he took hold of that time in his life and turned his life around. By November, he was out of rehab, and he went back to training for the Olympics. And as you know, he ended up this last Olympics in Rio with a total of 28 medals, 23 of them gold. But he got that way because he embraced a weakness, a failure in his life, and said, I've got to go somewhere else. I've got to turn in another direction. I don't know where he is on his spiritual journey, but I know he took a step forward. And it's because he was teachable that he was able to do that. A third thing that God does to help us move from stuck to teachable has to do with our work ethic. A stuck person will be laid back, relaxed, casual, and will stay there. They want to play it safe. They don't want to work too much or too hard. As opposed to the teachable person who works hard, works with dedication, gives it their all, and knows that effort is the key to moving into the future to facing the fear and fighting their way through it. An example of this is the Google Corporation. You know that Google has about 60,000 employees. Two million people a year apply to work at Google because it's apparently such a great company. I'm glad I work at New Life, by the way. So it's just a great company, great benefits. It's even an honor to be there great salary, um, free Coke during the day. I mean, this place is all set up. And, um, and yet, the average age of an employee at Google is 29, where the average age of a computer programmer across the United States is 42. Why are people so young at Google? I have one thought. When a person comes into Google... They've made it. Maybe they've come from MIT or Harvard or Stanford. They've made it through and surpassed 2 million applicants to be there. And they are in on projects that are changing our culture. There's a sense of appearing good right now. I'm there. I've, I've arrived. And the possibility of not needing to be all that teachable a possibility of not having to work all that hard because you've already got there. You're already there, already arrived. And so you get a couple of poor write-ups on a periodic review and suddenly you're out of a job. And it's like, how could this Stanford graduate, MIT graduate, how could this have happened to me? Do you see what happens? We can be, we can be very bright and be stuck. It can happen to anybody, anywhere, anytime. We can get stuck. And so, we want to be careful to have a hard-working environment. Parents, I want to encourage you to praise your children for their hard work. Karen and I talk about our boys being bright and great at everything. And if, you're, if you want to know more, just ask us. They're great. We have great boys. But we've had to learn as well to praise them for their hard work 
Because if they just rest on their incredible intelligence, which they got from their dad. Okay, they got it from their mom. If we just praise them for who they are, they don't, they don't have a sense of hard work to bust through into areas that, that they don't know or that they haven't ever been at. Does that make sense? And so, as a parent, you want to you want to parent your kid, praise your kids for their growth. Same thing as a coach. Maybe some of you are a coach or have been a coach. Yes, we want to praise our athletes for the abilities that they have now. But if an athlete rests on his current abilities, he doesn't go on. He doesn't get better. He doesn't get greater. Does that make sense? So we want to praise the athletes for their, for their growth for getting better at this or that, throwing the ball or kicking it or whatever it might be, that in that praise of getting better, then maybe they'll really take off and be great. But if we just stay stuck with, well, I'm there and that's it, you could never become the, the person of your potential, never realize that potential. Well, we've talked about three ways that God can help us to move to teachability, um, to be a learner, to embrace our weaknesses, and to work very hard. In your message notes, there's a question, and I want you to take it very seriously. Even this week during your devotions, where are you stuck on your journey? Because I believe everyone in this room has a place of stuckness. And you may be stuck in some areas of your spiritual growth, and it's time to really deal with that and to really move into a place of teachability. And there's another question there. How can you become more teachable? What can God do? How can you yield to the Spirit to become more teachable, to become that person that God's calling you to be? And you just want to ask God to speak to you about that, and He will. He will. I'm going to lead us now into uh, receiving from the Lord's table this morning. I want to ask the worship team to come forward. I have a thought as we come to receive of the bread and the cup this morning. Remember Jesus said to do this in memory of him. Let me read from Luke chapter 22. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to the disciples there saying to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. That's because there's a tomorrow. We got to keep on remembering. what We've got to keep Jesus center of our lives through no matter what happens. We've got to stay teachable. We've got to keep this at the forefront. And the same thing, in the same way, Uh, After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. As we receive of the cup and the bread this morning, as Jesus hands it to us, we do so realizing that the Holy Spirit is very much at work in our lives to move from any place of stuck to a greater place of teachability because it's at the core of discipleship. We have to do this. We have to get this because we've got to grow 
because the stakes are high. There's so many people around us who need what we have to give. So many people that we want to invest in. We've got to get better at this. And so this time of coming and receiving, we do it in memory of what Jesus has done. (laughs) And it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. As we come, I want you to note that it's an open table. You're all invited. Um, Come anytime during the worship. We just thank the worship team for just being so amazing. And uh, you can come probably during the first couple of songs. There'll be several. Um, You can either come to the two tables here in the front. There's also two tables there in the back. There are white welcome cards in the pockets there. Use those to... uh, Note prayer requests or answers to prayer that you have. And please, drop those in the container. If you're new with us, we'd love to know more about you. If you'd fill that out and drop it in the containers as well, in the front or back. And would you please bring your giving as well. And do it as a a, a point of worship, a point of generosity. And and drop your giving in the uh, containers as you come forward. you can take with your family, with friends, with others. You can gather in a small circle here and there. And just, just, just let the moment be powerful as the cup and bread are part of where you're going on your spiritual journey. Um, if you're not able to come forward, of course, if you'll just catch eye contact or wave toward an usher, we'll be glad to to serve you. And then the ministry teams will be available, and I invite them to come early on to receive of the cup and the uh, bread so that they can go ahead and then be in place. So after you receive, feel free to go to the ministry team and receive prayer, pray with them, expect a miracle. Some of us, some of us need a big miracle, job, finance, healing. This morning, This is it. Let's let Jesus do it. Go ahead and partner with the ministry team members. Well, let's go ahead and stand. Lord God, we just thank you so much for the bread, the cup that are your life given for us. We thank you for forgiveness. And it's free because of what you've done. You took care of everything so that we could be forgiven for free. We don't have to earn it. We can't be good enough. Thank you. And thank you that in this place of humility... And in this place of remembering you, we, we, we invite you by your Spirit to increase our teachability. Thank you, Lord. We need you now and we need you tomorrow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel- Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.